This episode of Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olakara is brought to you by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridge and Build. And now, here's your host, founder and CEO of the Millennial Action Project, Stephen Olakara. Welcome to Meeting in Middle America, our podcast, meeting the leaders and exploring the ideas, bringing people together in the Midwest. On the show today is the pride of central Wisconsin, the mayor more associated with holy balls than any other mayor in the country. She is the mayor of Wausau, Katie Rosenberg. Katie, thanks for coming on the show. That was one heck of an intro. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Absolutely. We're honored to have you. And as many of our listeners know, you won your race for Mayor of Wausau back in April, right as the pandemic was getting going. And we'll get into that and what the situation is like in Wausau. But I I know you've been asked a million times about holy balls, and I referenced that in in the introduction. Uh, And to bring everyone up to speed, when you won, you tweeted holy balls, it goes viral, and now you have swag uh, (laughs) coming out that has holy balls on it. But let me ask you this. Paint the picture for our listeners. You, you, the race had just been called. Where were you? What was going on in your surroundings when you ultimately decided to send out that tweet? Yeah, sure. So, you know, the election had happened the week prior, um, and we were all just kind of waiting for all of those ballots to come in and get counted. So, you know, it's 5 p.m. on that Monday, and I'm standing in my kitchen on a Zoom call with my friends, just like we all do, um, <laughs> waiting for those results because we knew they were coming in. And I was looking at one screen and they were looking at a different one. And I, and I was shocked. I said, you guys, I think all of the results for Wausau are in. Um, and they were like, no, they're not. They're not in. They're still waiting. You know, they were looking at the county stuff. So um, I was shocked and surprised and excited. So I did a little dance and then I did what I had done 21 other times in the past. And I <laughs> tweeted, holy balls. And uh <laughs> It kind of took off from there after a couple of reporters retweeted me um, because they had figured out what happened then, too. (laughs) Now, were you able to organize some kind of an election watch party or were you just uh, sitting at home when the results started coming in? Yeah, I was just at home. I had a couple of friends um, on on Zoom, including my campaign manager and some close friends. But really, it was just me, uh, my husband kind of pacing in the background and uh, and my friends. (laughs) And tell us more about your decision to run for mayor. You'd worked in local government before that, and you have a really fascinating background in both retail and local news. And you grew up in a bit of a political family. Your your dad, I understand it, was pretty involved in politics. But tell us more about your journey in public service and then ultimately deciding to, to run for mayor. Sure. Well, a while ago in the 90s, my dad decided that, you know, there was a big economic development project happening in downtown Wausau, um, and he had some opinions on it. So he thought, you know what, I'm just going to run for city council, and I'm going to I'm going to do what I think is right. So he did that, um, and he won. So throughout my middle and high school years, um, and into college, he was serving on the Wausau City Council, and then eventually he ran for the Marathon County Board too. So he had a pretty good um, approach to all of local government. And I think a lot of people had expectations that he would um, run for mayor. Um, but you know, I was w- kind of watching what he was doing, and um, I got excited when the uh, when the county board um, person uh, who represented me moved away and left a vacancy. Because as you know, um, being appointed is a little bit less stressful than running for an election. Um, And 
actually that person who left was my dad. He moved away. <laughs> he moved to La Crosse. <laughs> um, so I applied for that vacancy. Um, cause you know, I, I'd seen what he had did. I, I, I was kind of excited. I was ready to try new things. Um, and they did not appoint me. <laughs> they were done with Rosenberg's. Um, but you know, at that point I made that commitment. I was like, you know what, I'm going to just run in the next election, no matter what, and, and give this a shot. So I did. Um, I ran the guy who they appointed, um, didn't get the signatures in time. So, um, I was unopposed. It was not very stressful, but it was really exciting. And, you know, having that effect on local policymaking and seeing what your work does is really inspiring. I did this for two terms, worked with um, Health and Human Services. And, um, you know, we really, we had a lot of good impact in the area. And so then, of course, um, you, know, you, you kind of come to that crossroads, you know, okay, I've done this for two terms. I really like it. Um, but maybe it's time for me to put everything I'm about into this full time. Um, so you kind of, I was considering what I wanted to do next and um, the time was right for me to run for mayor. And a couple of people thought that was strange that I would go from county board to, to, to Wausau politics. But, you know, I think bringing that kind of collaborative approach that the county has um, to the city side has been really helpful for me and also bringing those relationships. It's been great. Um, so yeah, I, um, I feel really lucky the people elected me mayor. Um, they gave a shot on this kind of weird millennial um, and, and it's, been, it's been positive so far. Obviously the pandemic is very challenging um, in that you know budgets are affected, people's lives are affected. Everything about just interacting with humans is different right now. So that's been interesting to grapple with, but we have great network across the state with the League of Wisconsin Municipalities. So I've had a lot of great advice. As you know, I, I work with a lot of millennials across the country who are in elected office and try and see how we can bridge some of the political divisions. And one of the common narratives is that the more local you go, the more nonpartisan it gets. When you're in national governance, it's easy to have these abstract conversations and have partisan discussions about them. But locally, there is a more practical approach. And as the saying goes, there's no Democratic or Republican way to fill a pothole. So you're just coming off of a discussion about local budgeting uh, with a couple alums of Millennial Action Project, David Crowley and Eric Engrich, and two prior guests of the podcast. So tell us more about, as you take on what I imagine is a significant challenge around budgeting for the, the coming year, how does that kind of local governance, practical, nonpartisan approach come to bear with this challenge? Yeah, so it's been very interesting for me. I haven't really hidden the fact that I do have a political bent, right? So everybody knows that um, I maybe lean more towards the left than the right. Um, but when it comes to things like uh, fiscal policy and things like that, you know, local government, we really have to operate in this lean um, environment. So when you talk about there being no Republican or Democratic way to fill a pothole, you're exactly right. Except insofar as that we do fill it, like we have to fill it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that's the important part. And, you know, we do have that freedom um, when we're in local government to collaborate and work with others. We don't have a whip running around telling us how we're supposed to vote. We don't have majority leaders um, in the parties. Um, so it's there is a little bit of freedom here um, that you can't get when you're when you're in that kind of two party caucusing system. So we feel really I feel really lucky that that's the opportunity I have. And I I you know, they talked about on that podcast with with politics, um, you know, there being all kinds of sides of the aisle represented. And I really 
you know, aside from knowing a couple of them, I, I don't really, you can't tell, right? You're, you're all That's operating. Right. Uh, you're all operating under the same restrictions when it comes to levy. You're still trying to do the right thing. So, um, yeah, I guess those challenges when it comes to budgeting, we're all in this together. So yeah. we have to decide. Yeah, absolutely. So as you look ahead to the next year, just help our listeners understand what are the trade-offs you have to grapple with? What are the opportunities you see to come out of this stronger? What are some of the factors that you'll and your, you know, your, your fellow decision makers have to be kind of grappling with? Sure. So Wausau, you know, we are a city of uh, a little more than 38,000 and our bu our budget is about $96 million. So that's a lot of money. Um, it's not enough to do everything I want to do. So again, when we're talking about trade-offs, you know, it comes in the form of, okay, which streets are we going to repair? Which ones are we going to rebuild? What do we really need to get done here when it comes to economic development? Do we have what it takes to invest? So I would say probably the big challenge, um, number one challenge that you face is that every year it costs more to do exactly what you did. So that, mm -hmm. that for us, that's a little more than a million dollars. So we had to first find that million dollars to do exactly what we did. And then we had to think about what do we need to do going forward? You know, budgeting last year uh, didn't include a pandemic response. It didn't include a lot of things. So that is something that I'm, I took very seriously. So we're partnering now with the county, um, on Marathon County on emergency management planning. So we're going to invest a little bit more when it comes to planning. So we have more than boilerplate ideas. And that's across the board when it comes to uh, communicable disease, but also what happens if there's a shooting here? What happens if there's a, if the train goes off the rail and spills something? So these are things that we do need to make sure that we're planning for in, in case. Um, and, and make sure that we have everybody on board when it comes to that response here. So I feel really lucky. That's one of the things that I touted strongly during my campaign was that we need to work more collaboratively with the county. Um, and I brought those relationships with us. So I would say that's the big stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all, all very tough, but important decisions you'll have to be making. And that, of course, is a look at kind of where we're at in the pandemic and in this current era, but let's zoom out a little bit as well. You you grew up in Wausau and there's been, as, as you referenced with the, we were talking earlier about the New York Times piece, there's been this fascination with Wisconsin. <laughs> I think for good reason. I think our state is not just the tipping point state for these national elections, but in many ways, a microcosm of a lot of these big national challenges that our country is is grappling with. So there have been, I think, a lot of deep dives on what's going on in Wisconsin. So from your perspective, having grown up in Wausau and now governing Wausau, how has the community transformed over the past 20, 30 plus years? You know, just like every city, I think we've seen um, diversity grow in Wausau. We have 11% of our population is Hmong. Um, we have growing other um, ethnic minorities in our population. And so with that comes that amazing, you know, opportunity to learn new things and try new things. But there's also that that stressor um, that happens. So we've had our own, um, you know, problems when it comes to discussions about policing. Um, so, you know, addressing that stuff wasn't something I came in um, to with with the idea that that was something I had to address. But, you know, after the George Floyd killing, you start to wonder, OK, now it doesn't feel like we have a problem here, but I've seen little little things, little things that could turn into big things, um, things that are pe people are saying, um, reactions that people are feeling. And 
we had the largest political march of my lifetime um, this year under my watch. And, you know, watching some of the rioting happen in other cities, that was one thing that I didn't want to happen. So we planned intensely. We had the police um, march with us at, during that march. Um, over 2,000 people, around 2,000 people showed up. It was huge. Um, and, and it made me feel good that people, people had this opinion that we need to come together here. Um, but, you know, marching and holding signs and slogans isn't enough. So what came out of that was um, our WASA policing task force. So we're doing a dive into what are our policing uh, policies? Um, what could we do that's a little different or better? Um, do we have gaps in the system? Um, when it comes to systemic racism, do we know how to kind of dismantle that? And those are challenging questions for anyone at any time, but especially now when you're under a microscope um, nationally, um, it, it's really, it's even more important now that we get this right. And again, we're doing a lot of things right, but you do see those little stress fractures and you want to address them. Well, I saw those marches and it's extraordinary. I think a lot of people would have thought you wouldn't see that in Wausau and, and, and just amazing to, to see that. Now, um, for people who are less familiar with Wausau and, and central Wisconsin, um, but maybe they've heard about ginseng, for example, <laughs> You know, what's the one thing, you know, when we're done with this pandemic and people are going to come visit Wausau, what's the one thing that you want them to take away from the experience or one thing that they've got to see when they're there? Oh, man, we have so many things to do um, post pandemic. You know, a lot of our festivals were canceled. Um, we, we did host the International Ginseng Festival you mentioned. Um, yeah. It's great uh, if you have never had ginseng ice cream or, or ginseng tea or I mean, there's so many ginseng things our local restaurants take on the challenge <laughs> of cooking with it. Um, so that's fun. Um, probably the biggest weekend is that weekend after Independence Day. We have the balloon rally and rib fest and chalk fest. And, you know, 30,000 people end up in my neighborhood to watch the hot air balloons kind of take off over the skies and glow. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's free, but it's a lot of people. So I would say coming in the summer and experiencing those festivals would be great. But, you know, we have um, a world-class ski hill right outside our borders. We have all kinds of outdoor opportunities, um, nine-mile forest, go cross-country skiing, snowshoeing. We just we have a lot going on, so um, you will not be disappointed uh, if you stop in at any time of the year here. Absolutely. Well, speaking of ginseng, um, I when I was in college, I did a study abroad program to China, and it was the first time we were doing this program. So there's some pop in circumstance with administrators, and I remember we had ginseng from Wasa, and just how meaningful of a gift that was to uh, the Chinese group that we were with. And they had heard about it. They knew all about Wisconsin ginseng. So, Oh, yeah, it's a big deal. My friend, uh, Will Sue, who uh, operates Sue's Ginseng yes. here, um, would love for me to tell you how, how much better Marathon County ginseng is than maybe ginseng grown anywhere in North America. So in case you want to try it, give it a shout out to Marathon County. We know what we're doing here. Absolutely. Shout out to Will. Uh, so, um, you know, you're one of the youngest mayors of a, of a major city in Wisconsin. And as a millennial mayor, how did how do you think that changes your perspective on on governance right now? You know, there are a lot of you know narratives right now, especially when you look at national government about uh, baby boomers just hanging on to, to power. And and yet you have hearings on issues like social media 
and and people on this committee don't even know like how Facebook operates, for example. So I think there's a tangible impact in your perspective and how that relates to your policy. But how does that translate in WASA and some of the decisions that you've had to make coming at it from more of a millennial mindset? Sure. I, I think, you know, we you see all kinds of different reasons people are in government. Um, I actually am not WASA's youngest mayor. Um, that title, as far as I know, goes to John Robinson, who's also a, a former assembly representative out of here. He was 33 when he was elected, so that's exciting for him. Um, but, you know, I think being able to come in during this environment when we're struggling to connect with people, you know, we have limited capacity, we can't be within six feet of each other, but we still... We, progress can't stop. Um, so we still need their input. So understanding how social media works, understanding how to get people to collaborate using online tools or figuring out how to get to people who don't have access to the internet, maybe um, that's been really critical. And, you know, some of it, I've just had to call in my marketing skills from my past life, right? Like, well, we're just going to put out a video and we're going to ask people to watch the video and then send us their reactions on a big project. And, you know, that's been really helpful um, to be able to just call on some of those skills. Um, I would say there isn't a lot of combativeness um, in the Wausau City Council between the younger folks and the older folks. Um, but, you know, I did feel a little bit of that when I was on the county board. And I think it was based on the kinds of issues that I was bringing forward um, that maybe they weren't used to hearing about in rural Marathon County. We had a big discussion about Pride Month and, you know, it's very important that um, in our cities and everywhere that we take a stance that it's important to celebrate our diversity and acknowledge that it's not the same for everybody. It's not the same experience, um, but it really, you know, it, it became a very interesting discussion about what people thought they knew about what LGBTQIA meant um, mm -hmm. and especially among people who just were uncomfortable maybe even having that conversation. So it was, that was a challenge, but I think, I think we're getting there. I think having those conversations um, are, those conversations are important um, for me, for them and for our community. So I don't know. I think if somebody wants to bring up something about age, uh, <laughs> you know, I, it, it hasn't really affected me that much. I would say um, other than, you know, I couldn't run for Senate or president for a while, but you know, we've <laughs> aged into that system now. So you better watch out. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and a lot's been written about kind of your, like, people have written about your tattoos, for example, and like your identity and how you express it. And I guess, you know, I, I, I wonder a lot about how in politics, we try and box people in to not just political party or political ideology, but certain archetypes, certain identities. And there's a lot of this kind of rush to judgment okay this is a person who fits into this narrative this person fits into that narrative and we're more complicated than that we can have more complexity to our identity and i think there is a move maybe more recently to express your full self i come at this from a musical background i'm a jazz musician where you know bringing your full self to the music is a good thing and all of the uniqueness that you have that adds a unique flair to when you're improvising and you're trading fours with another jazz musician. And so I wonder how you've navigated these spaces as you've gone into, as you've gone into politics and profile pieces have been written about you and you're trying to kind of articulate who you are while navigating these existing archetypes 
in politics. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. You know, it's interesting. I just watched um, that uh, documentary on Hunter S. Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. Just over the Thanksgiving break, I was looking for something to take my mind away. And it was interesting because he lamented the fact that he felt that he was turned into this kind of caricature of himself. And, you know, you can kind of identify when when you start to use labels on everything, like, oh, it's the millennial mayor. Oh, she's got tattoos. You know, I see it happening with the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, Betterman, you see these labels being used. And it's on the one hand, it's really good to point out, like, this isn't the same government, right? We, we're coming with these different ideas. And sometimes we express that by saying, well, this is the label for that. But, you know, I, I'm more than just my tattoos or I'm more than just um, my age. So, and, and I represent more than that too across the board. So I think maybe what's most important is that you're coming at it from an, uh, a more open mindset or a, a growth mindset. You're willing to maybe try new things on and see how it feels. Um, and I think in general, across the board, it doesn't matter what political uh, bent you are, like having that growth mindset is going to help you create better policy. And if that means that I have to keep calling for that and maybe shocking people with a couple of different <laughs> things about me, that's fine. Um, but I think eventually that like, that's the direction we need to go. Um, and it's, you know, it's fun to be um, part of a club. Um, but at the end, we're all part of this human club that we, we got to get along mm. together. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Well, when I read that you, you did roller derby, I was like, yes, I knew it. She did roller derby. So, to, to, what, uh, what, I'm kind of serious about this. Like what life lessons do you think you took away from roller derby? And just oh generally, gosh. what was your experience like? Yeah. So first of all, um, roller derby is an amazing sport and I encourage you if you're thinking about it after the pandemic, try it on, give it a shot. Um, it's so yeah. fun. Um, but you know, Roller derby is a team sport. Um, it's also a combat sport. So you 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 go in there. You you have your helmet on. You have your your pads on, and everybody has a role when they're on there. Um, quite literally, uh, I often was the pivot, and I would often hug kind of that inside left side of the of the track. And you know, if I even got a couple of inches away from that somebody was going to sneak through their jammer. So, you know, you learn to really stick to what you're doing and, and pay attention in that moment. But also if you're going to, if you're going to fall, if you're going to fail, you got to, you got to communicate all the time. So you got to yell at your friends sometimes, but you also got to pull them in if they're not doing what you think they should be doing. So that's, <laughs> I would say there's a lot coming from roller derby that can help. And also sometimes Sometimes you do have to bash into your friends to get the right stuff to happen. And you don't have to be afraid of that. You can maybe talk about it later. <laughs> but, you know, and the other thing, you know, roller derby is a largely just women's sport. So, I mean, that is amazing. And the camaraderie there. So, you know, finding your, finding your people that you can connect with um, is really important. And being able to shake their hand at the end of the bout is important, too. And will you get back to roller derby after the pandemic? <laughs> I wish, you know, I ruptured a couple of discs. So uh, my, my doctor told me that I probably shouldn't be uh, doing any combat sports. So I'm doing a lot more biking. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's the official line. Uh, don't tell my doctor if I get on my skates again, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I, 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 I hope there's some video out there of you doing roller derby because uh, I think people need to see that. And what that I think it is a, a metaphor for uh, a lot of things in life and uh, being an effective member of a team. So I think that's all great wisdom. <laughs> Katie, I, I love um, 
how the, the perspective you're bringing to politics and uh, very grateful for your time to, to come on the show. You are shattering stereotypes. You're carving out new ground and we frankly need more of that in politics. So thanks for everything that you're doing. And thanks again for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for the invite. This was really fun. You've been listening to Meeting in Middle America with Stephen Olikara, sponsored by UW-Milwaukee, Waggett, and Bridgetville. This has been a WISPolitics.com, WISPBusiness.com podcast production.